Good morning. How are we? So I have to admit a, a work of humility that the Lord did in me. I finally got progressive lenses. I know you were sick of me taking my glasses on and off, and I was sick of it too. And last week, I wore them for the first time and could actually see my notes. Like, that was a good thing. Read the Bible. I did buy a large print Bible too. It's one of the progressive lenses too, so be free, all right? I absolutely love um, our worship ministry here at church. Mike is obviously, uh, you know, a great worship leader and talented, but everybody else up here, how about Steve Jackson? He's so smooth on that. He just doesn't miss a note, man. And we had Ben and Ben, Steve and Steve, and then Michelle, she came off the bench today, didn't know she was singing until she got here today. So thank you. We appreciate it for sure. So um, let's pray and then we'll dig into the word. Lord, you are the everlasting God. You're our hope and our strength. And I pray for us today to see you at work in our lives and in the lives of others and in the lives of this community. I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what you want to say today. Help me to communicate your word with your grace and anointing, your power. We thank you for the authority of the word of God. The authority. Lord, heal hearts this morning. Draw us closer to you as your disciples, Jesus. Have your will and have your way in each one of our lives, God, and where people are just going through stuff and weary, I pray you would just show yourself strong and that we would not try to live in our own strength, our own power, but totally dependent upon you, Lord. We love you so much. We're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, I was in the the Phoenix airport, and I was bored waiting for the plane and got up and took a walk. And I remember as I was walking, I noticed there was a restaurant, and somebody caught my eye, and I was like, I know that person. And I peeked over and tried not to get caught and look like a stalker or something, but like, who is that person? And as I got a little bit closer, I realized it was Marshall Falk. How many know who Marshall Falk is? He's a great running back for... St. Louis during their glory years when they won a Super, uh, Super Bowl and all of that. And um, so I, I walked up to him like a giddy little schoolgirl. And I was like, um, Mr. Falk, um, can I have your autograph? And he looked at me like, I'm so enjoy by himself. And I was like, totally ruining his day. But he, he uh, gave it to me. And I have a friend who was a huge uh, St. Louis Rams fan, so I ended up, I got it for him ultimately, but it was kind of cool to recognize somebody famous like that in an airport. The other day, Pastor Mark discipled me at the Rockies game. Yes, he did. He discipled me at the Rockies. That was supposed to be funny. That went, choo-choo. I was actually discipling him, but um, at Coors Field, they have this fairly new thing. It was new to me this year called Clear. 
And maybe many of you use clear at the airport. If you travel a lot, it means you get to bypass all the huge crowds trying to get in the game. And the fact that the Rockies have been doing pretty good, they actually have a pretty good attendance going on. And so I told Marcus, so we're going to go in this clear entrance because a couple of weeks ago, they take your fingerprint and they do all this stuff and check your background. And I guess if you pass the questions and all of that, you, you get to, to go into the game and it's free. And there's like 99% of the people waiting to go in the game know nothing about the clear entrance. It's a big blue tent. I'm giving you a favor here. So maybe they do it at other places, but sign up for it. It's the coolest thing. And um, Mark asked me as we were going in, he goes, why don't more, more people use this? Like, it seems ridiculous. And I thought, searching for it. They're not looking. They're just going with the crowds. They're just... You know, a failure to recognize something that's right there. They even have people trying to get people to sign up for it. And I thought, I wonder how many people we've blown by on a daily basis that maybe we should have recognized. How many opportunities did we blow by because we just were not looking for it or we were so focused on where we were going, we didn't recognize what's going on around us. We're going to find in our story this morning in Luke 24, two guys who failed to recognize the resurrected Christ. Jesus had risen from the dead and they could not recognize him. And they're on this walk to Emmaus and we're in this series called Seven Miles. And the seven miles comes from the walk that these guys did when they went from Jerusalem to, I mean, to Jerusalem to Emmaus. And this seven-mile walk, oh, hey, I thought that was me. Um, this seven miles represents discipleship to Jesus. I really see it as a metaphor. And we started this last week. And we're going to go through Luke 24 over the next several weeks and just see discipleship components. Last week, we talked about walking with Jesus. Today, we're going to talk about recognizing him. And so to set our scripture up passage that we're going to look at, um, and then in Luke 24, he rises again, just as he said he was going to. And so um, Jesus, the, the angels come and meet these women that had come to Jesus' tomb and they didn't find a body. And they say he has risen just as he said he was going to. Go announce this. And these two guys heard from the ladies that, that Jesus' body wasn't there and that he, the angel had said that he had rose from the dead. And all of a sudden, they're, they're walking, and Jesus finds them walking on the road to Emmaus. And he, he catches them, and he said, they're, they're talking about how sad they were and how things didn't go the way they thought they were going to go and how um, their hopes and dreams had been blown up by, by seeing Jesus die on the cross and then be buried. And they, they didn't get it, and Jesus has to actually interrupt their conversation. And start to talk to him. He says, what are you guys talking about? So here they are walking. A man comes and walks beside them. It's the risen Jesus. And they failed to see him. They failed to recognize him. You ever been so busy you failed to recognize your surroundings? Right? And so Jesus says, what are you talking about? And he says, they say to him, have you not heard? This Jesus who is a prophet and strong in word and deed. He's died at the hands of the chief priests and the religious leaders. And Jesus rebukes them that the scriptures the old testament say that the messiah had to first suffer and die and then rise from the grave so we pick it up and they walk with jesus seven miles 
And it says, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going far farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Would we have recognized Jesus on the road to Emmaus? We have to be honest, ask, try to put ourselves in their shoes. Would we have recognized him, the circumstances and all that was there? And really the heart of what I think the Lord wants to do in each one of us is maybe we're not recognizing him and his work in our lives and, and his work around us and other people. And I think that's ultimately the goal today is that we learn to recognize Jesus using this story and taking away what happened to them and applying it to us 2,000 years later. So what causes us to not recognize Jesus in our lives? We're busy. We live busy lives. These guys were talking. They were focused on what they were thinking about. They were sad, etc., and they couldn't see Jesus walking with them. He had to come in their busyness and interrupt their conversation and say, what are you guys talking about? I think that's interesting. There was a, a story I read in one of the news magazines about a, a famous violinist. His name was Josh Bell, and or is Josh Bell. This is like current times. And Josh Bell is like one of the most amazing violinists. And anybody that plays violin knows that that's probably the most one of the most difficult instruments to play, right? Mike could probably just pick it up and start playing, but the rest of us, right? Kristen McClanahan plays. It's a tough instrument. And he plays some of the most complicated pieces in, in the in, you know that anybody can play and his you know when he plays they charge like a hundred dollars a seat for people to come hear him play. And one day he took his violin down to the subway in Washington DC, the Metro. And he put down his little violin case and opened it up and threw a little change in there, hint, hint, you know, while he was going to play, you know, show me the money, right? And so he's playing for 45 minutes, some of the most complicated pieces. And for 45 minutes in that total time, only five people came up to even listen to violin case. You have the greatest violinists around and nobody recognized him. Why? Why did they not recognize this, how complex this was and who this was? Because they were too busy. People were busy getting to their train to get to work or to get to the next place and just blowing by opportunities. These guys on the road to Emmaus, they were unaware that Jesus was walking with them. Busyness makes us unaware of our surroundings. How many have figured that out? When you get so busy, you're not aware of the emotional conditions sometimes of the people that are closest to you even, let alone a coworker or whatever. And that's why I think sometimes we get angry with people when they're not doing a good job, but we maybe are failing to recognize that something's going on inside of them and to be more kind and to be more open. We say, you know, we're so busy, right? You, you talk to somebody and you say, hey, how you been? Hey, just busy. Um, we all say that. We're pre-programmed. Say, hey, just busy. Some of you, maybe it's, it's not that way, but the majority of people are just, we're so busy. And to be too busy and to fail to recognize Jesus is a failure to connect with other people. 
It's a failure to connect and, and, and see those Jesus moments in our lives, in the people's lives around us. We have to not be so busy that we don't see Jesus working in our lives. The second is what I would just call blindness, our blindness. Kind of walking in the dark sometimes, spiritual blindness, lack of emotional connection. It was saying that in, in the Luke 24, 15, and 16, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, I think that's an interesting phrase. They were kept from recognizing him. I think theologically a, 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 an okay interpretation is maybe Jesus didn't allow them to recognize him. Maybe he wanted you know, to show them something different in this walk and opening their minds I think that's definitely from other scriptures you could interpret it that way. But two things we know for sure, reasons why they were blind to recognizing Jesus, was number one, and I'm going to harp on this, they weren't looking for him. They weren't looking for him. They were so stuck in their busyness and how they thought things were supposed to go, they couldn't see. And so they weren't looking for him. And then the second reason is they didn't have an understanding of scripture. They obviously didn't, they obviously read Genesis through Malachi, but they didn't see this thread that the Messiah, they saw that the Messiah was going to come, but they only saw him coming as, as a king, you know, a warrior. They didn't see that Jesus, the Messiah was going to have to, the, the, the Messiah was going to suffer at our Tuesday night disciples, which is the first two Tuesdays of the month. It'll happen again in October. I want to encourage everybody to come out to, to Tuesday Night Disciples. It was awesome. We had it, at least 20, 25 people come. And the subject matter taught by Scott Troutwine and Chris Ingalls was the gospel and seeing the thread of the gospel from the beginning of Genesis. Scott taught on that on the, in the Old Testament and then Chris in the New Testament. And when you search, you know what you're looking for, you'll find the answer. No one who takes the Bible serious. I've never met one person who takes the Bible serious, believes what it says, its promises are disappointed. That's important. When you take the Bible serious and you take God's word serious and realize what a gift he's given us in the scriptures, you're not going to be disappointed. But you got to know what you're looking for when you read the Bible. Sometimes we just flip through the Bible to do a duty or to, to get check it off our list or I'm told to do it, so I'll do it. Listen, how many of you in this room want salvation? How many of you want a promise of eternity? How many of you want a hope that is unshakable? How many want to know your purpose in life? To get direction for your life? To find answers? You find it in the scripture. The more we read the Bible, the less spiritually blind we are. Third thing that... Disappointments, grief, and sorrow. These guys were overwhelmed with sorrow. Because things didn't go the way they thought it was supposed to. And I think some of us in this room, have you're feeling that overwhelmed. That sense of disappointment. Maybe it is a grief. Maybe it is a sorrow. And sometimes when we're in so much pain, we don't recognize Christ working in our lives. We don't recognize Him in relationships and situations because we get so focused on our pain. And that pain feels just so overwhelming. And I know some of you are experiencing that. And I want you, 
The Lord wants you to turn your eyes up to him and watch what will happen in the midst of, of going through difficult times and pain. He's going to meet you. It says in Luke 24, 17 through 18, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still with their faces downcast. I mean, that, that is, they were bummed. They were just to the point of sorrow. They, they, they couldn't even really, they couldn't see anything around them. In 2007, my brother Tim died, and life's circumstances told us that maybe he was going to die young. He died at 48, but I wasn't ready for that. And the day that I found out that he died, like, and then having to go run a couple errands, and I stopped in a Starbucks, and I saw some acquaintances. They weren't like close friends, but people who knew me. And it was one of those, you make eye contact. I wanted to avoid the situation and bolt out of there. But we stopped and talked. And I was sitting there thinking, like, we're making small talk right now. My brother died. You get so focused when you're in pain, like, everyone should know that something's going on here. And yet, you know, they didn't know. And I remember just kind of blurting on them, yeah, my brother just died. And so they were like, oh, man, I'm sorry. And I was like... Why did I do that? You don't know what to say sometimes when you're in grief and when you're in sorrow. Sometimes we just say stupid things. That's one of my worst fears is saying something stupid when somebody is going through grief and sorrow. And you're like, okay, you're not doing my funeral then, right? (laughs) No, actually, if we're real when we're in grief and sorrow, that's the best thing to be more than anything. But these guys, they were so sad and so downcast It was because they were looking at life without a resurrection. Catch that. Life without the resurrection is hopeless. It's hopeless. And God rose Jesus from the dead to give us the hope of all hopes because his resurrection for all eternity. So we don't have to fear death. We don't have to to fear all the, the stuff that happens in life, as painful as it is. Jesus said, in this life, you're going to have trials and sorrows of many kind, but take courage, I've overcome. So in this life, how many ever years we get, if it's short or if it's up to 100 years or more, life is going to throw you some pain. It's going to throw you difficulties. But the joy that's on the other side is so much better, and it gives us hope to remember when we're in the middle of those sorrowful times. In in John chapter 11, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, John 11, Jesus is is in a a place far away from a town called Bethany. It doesn't say what, what town Jesus was in. But in Bethany, his friend Lazarus got sick. And the word got to Jesus wherever he was at that his buddy Lazarus was sick. And... You know, without quoting it perfectly, Jesus said something along the lines that this is, this is not going to end in death. He knew that what he was going to do through the sickness of Lazarus. Lazarus goes on to die. And then Jesus walks to Bethany. So there was a several days walk. Now, when Jewish people back in the Bible would have a funeral, it would last weeks at a time. Like it wasn't one day and it was over. They would... And Jesus walks into Bethany and he sees all the people grieving. He sees them crying. And Martha, Lazarus' sister, runs to Jesus. And she says, oh, Jesus, if you would have just been here, you could have done something about this and Lazarus wouldn't be dead. And Jesus says, 
I'm the resurrection and the life. He or she who believes in me, though they die, they will live. So Jesus walks into this funeral and the, the, the shortest verse in all of the Bible is Jesus wept. And Jesus was coming to, to raise Lazarus from the dead. He was, one of his you know, miracles that he was unfolding throughout the Gospel of John was to raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet, if I was Jesus, if you were Jesus, and you knew you were going to raise this guy from the dead, and you see all these people crying and weeping, wouldn't you be kind of thinking, I know something that they don't know. These guys are about to have their sorrow turned to complete joy. And yet Jesus is so in touch in his humanity, fully God, fully human. In his humanity, he's so in touch with our sorrow, our disappointments, our grief. He wept with them. He saw them in pain. If you're in pain today, you need to know that we have a Savior who is in touch with your suffering. Turn to him. Turn to him and recognize him in the midst of whatever you're going through. Jesus gets all those. And he walks with you. And then Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. He's the resurrection and the life. Don't look, don't look at life without the resurrection, okay? The resurrection is the rock-solid truth that we are building our lives on. It's the cornerstone of our faith. And when you have that, then whatever life brings at you, you have ultimate hope. The fourth thing that I think blocks us from seeing Jesus at work in our lives or from recognizing him is our agendas. They're, they perceived the cross. They perceived Jesus dying on the cross as a failure because of their agenda. Why did they see it as a failure? Well, like Peter and many other folks, they, they, they knew Jesus was the Messiah, but they thought he was coming right now as the warrior general to uh, liberate Israel from its enemies, from the Roman Empire, and to, to you know rise up Israel again. And they, they, they were looking for a general when they needed a savior. And Jesus came the first time to be a savior. These guys told Jesus, they said, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over. They're talking to Jesus about himself to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped real. The word redeem is used often regarding slavery. Slavery in the Bible times where people didn't declare bankruptcy. When you were in debt, you became somebody's slave in order to work off your debt, your, your financial debts, or whatever debts that had incurred. And so they used that word, and it's also used in a political sense. They, they thought that they had this different kind of slavery, a political slavery to the Romans in mind. And forgive this, but they wanted Jesus to make Israel great again. Oh, no, I didn't. I did. I just said that. You went, whoa, serious moment to that. But that's true. And that's a whole other sermon and thing. We could open up Pandora's box there. I don't want to do that. But that's what they wanted. It was all about their nation. It was all about Israel. And Jesus died. So what's going to happen to our country? They started worrying about things that they, they shouldn't have been worrying about because Jesus came to save them not from the slavery to the Romans or any physical thing, but slavery to sin. Jesus said, if 
a man or woman sins, they become slaves to sin. But if the Son of God comes and sets you free, you'll be free indeed. The truth will set you free. The truth about the gospel, the truth about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, that's the truth that sets us free from the slavery to and set everything right. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and God is a God of justice. He's going to do that, but he came the first time to set us free from sin. Sometimes we think God is supposed to do something or do things the way we hope he, he should do it, and when he doesn't, we fail to recognize him in our life. Are we all guilty of that? God, da, 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 this job I was supposed to get, or we were supposed to do that, and, and things just didn't go my way. All of a sudden, we have blinders on our eyes and we don't see Jesus working in our lives. But let's recognize him. Let's lay down our agenda. Let's give our life back to him with a blank sheet of paper and say, sign our name at the bottom and just say, Lord, whatever you want to do with my life, I'll do. That's the life that we all need and would find true fulfillment in anyway. And then the last reason we don't see Jesus and recognize him around us and in us is our pessimism. Our pessimism. I've been a Rockies fan for 25 years. It's easy to be pessimistic, right? Especially after this weekend. Pessimism is, it's the glass half empty, right? Rather than the glass being half full says that in verse 22 and 23, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but live. Kind of almost have to read this in a pessimistic tone. Um, some of our women went to the tomb and his body's not even there anymore. And then they said some weird story about how an angel visited them and said he's alive. They, they were viewing this through pessimism, though they couldn't see him. Therefore, they couldn't see him. We have to remember that we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by feelings. I'm so guilty of walking by feelings rather than faith. Anybody else with me on that? How about we walk by circumstances rather than by faith? Oh, everything's out of control, so therefore God fell off the throne. He never falls off the throne, even when life feels chaotic. He's right there with us, walking with us. We just need to recognize him. We of all people should be the most optimistic because of Jesus and the resurrection. The heart of the Christian faith is optimism. The kingdom to come. His will will be done. The resurrection has happened. Our job is to preach and announce the good news and wait for him to come again. So those are the reasons, I think, from this passage that we can deduce why we don't see Jesus or why we don't recognize. Let's make this a hair more positive in how do we learn to recognize Jesus or what causes us to recognize Jesus in our life. He wants you to not just know about him, but to truly know and experience him. He wants us to not just know about him, he wants us to truly experience him to know him to know that we're known by him these guys said after jesus broke the bread and they had walked the seven miles and were having this meal together and jesus opens their eyes to recognize them there they can finally see him and jesus disappears and they say we're not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us in other words shouldn't we have recognized him man shouldn't we have seen and understood who he was. Write this down. We experience him 
when he opens our hearts and our minds. I'm going to do a little play on words here. We experience him when he opens our hearts and our minds. I talk to people who come to a saving faith in Jesus, a genuine walk with him. And people will just say things like, man, I don't know how to explain it, but I just felt compelled. I just felt compelled to walk forward and give my life to Jesus. I felt compelled to pray. I felt compelled to go to church. I felt compelled. There was something in me that was just working and drawing me. That's what it means to be born again. It is all of a sudden, in your need for a Savior. I know for me, when I was 25 years old, I was lost, man. I was ruining my life one bad choice at a time. And it was didn't all happen overnight. I, I knew a little bit about Jesus when I was in high school and would have told you I was a Christian and believed. But, you know, as, as time marched on, I, I remember just walking away from the Lord. And as I walked away from the Lord, my heart didn't get hard overnight, but one bad choice at a time, harder and harder and harder to the point where when I was in my college years, I would have said, I don't even know if I believe in God. Um, you know, I think I even confessed there is no God. And I remember shaking my fist at this God that I said I didn't believe. And he could have struck me down right there and been, been just in everything that he was doing. But God's a God of mercy. And he, he, he delights in showing mercy to an idiot like me. And I wasn't looking for him, but he came and found me. And... On October 26, 1992, driving in my 89 Toyota 4x4, my mullet and everything to go with it. And the Holy Spirit just came into the cab of my vehicle. And I started thinking about eternity. And all of a sudden, God was dealing with me. And the next day, my, my family had been praying for me. My family all came to Christ very backwards. But my mom and dad came to Christ in like my dad was 50 they've been praying for me and i went to work that day with my dad we were working together and i told him i said dad i gave my life to christ we were actually driving to lunch and i said dad i gave my life to christ and he goes oh i was like then uh. he was like registered and he actually listened he goes what er, pulled over we cried and he prayed and rejoiced that his prodigal son had come home and I've been walking with Christ ever since then. I know that I, in, as imperfect as my walk is, I know that I know that I know that I'm his. I know that I know that I know that I've been born again. I know that, that, that he opened my mind and he opened my heart. But the next part of this is we experience when he does the work in us, but we also experience him when we open our hearts and our minds. He does the initial work, but he also, we open our hearts and our minds and begin to seek him. As he sought us out, we begin to seek him. People become captivated by the gospel because they believe it's true, right? It's not just some shot in the dark. You become captivated with Jesus because you believe he's opening your heart and mind to God. Is Number one, there's the objective intellectual evidence surrounding Jesus in the Bible. Like, no one could convince me that Jesus didn't really walk this earth. If somebody believes that, they're just not very smart. They they're, they're have an intellectual bias. And 
all that he did. And then the facts for the resurrection and the facts for, for the early church and all that's happened for 2,000 years. You're going to have a tough time selling me on it. I've done my homework. And many of you have too. And I don't say that in a cocky voice. I say it, I want to know because that's how I'm wired. I don't want to just do some shot in the dark. If I'm going to give my life to something, I want to know that it's true. And you should too. If you don't take my word for it. If you're having a struggle with whether this is true or not, go do your homework. You go research. You go find out what, what the truth is, what the his, history is, the archaeology, all that goes with that. The second part, though, is the subjective part of experiencing Jesus. That's the, the experiential evidence. I not only have, it, have seen it intellectually in understanding this, but the experience in my heart of being changed wanting to change before i was a christian i didn't care who i hurt or whatever i didn't have much of a conscience all of a sudden i cared about things that i didn't care before i've experienced his to do that so the difference between knowing about jesus and knowing him i know a lot about peyton manning he doesn't know me Um, i know a lot about him but i've never met him jesus knows each one of us intimately already so that's take that off. He already knows everything about you. And he loves you anyway. <laughs> Isn't that good news? He loves us anyway, in spite of us. He wants you to experience him. And then the other thing that I think causes us to recognize Jesus is we need to remember that he shows up when we gather together. Purposefully gathering together with other believers is a way you will recognize Jesus at work in your life. You'll hear it at this church, harped on. The Christian life is not done solo, period. Yeah, you're an individual when you stand before Christ, but in this walk and growing together, we walk together, we grow together, we cry together, we laugh together, we celebrate together. Jesus said, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Like, it's pretty point blank, right? When, when we're gathered in his name like we are today, he's right there in the midst of us. Of course, he's with you 24-7 through the Holy Spirit, but there is a power in coming together in home groups, core groups, fellowship, Pinterest, opening our hearts to one another. Jesus shows right up to that. So it's in community. It's in being in the word together. It's breaking bread together. I love all the times in the scriptures where you see Jesus breaking bread with his disciples. He's the bread of life. The early disciples, that was, the early church was a mark that they broke bread together. So I would say this, remembering that Jesus shows up when we gather together, we experience him when we open up our lives to others. When you open up your lives, your life to other people, that's when you're going to experience him. If you stay secluded, even introverts in this room, when you stay secluded, and I know that feels safer to be introverted and and just, I'm going to walk with Jesus by myself. It doesn't work like that. You need a family. You need a community. It's just how God has put it in each one of us. And I wonder how many times maybe we fail to recognize Jesus in people because they don't look like us. They don't talk like us. Maybe they don't believe all the exact same things that we do. And we fail to recognize Jesus in all around us. Let's ask him for a heart 
to see him. He'll answer that prayer, I promise you. Which of those five things, you know, our, our, our busyness, our blindness, our disappointments, griefs, and sorrow, our agendas, our pessimism, which one of those five things is maybe true of you today? And if you would just be real and honest with the Lord about where you're at and ask him, Lord, if it's, if it's busyness, Lord, help me to slow down see you at work around me and in other people. Help me to spend time with other people. If it's blindness, spiritual blindness, are you opening the word on a regular basis? You have to open and get in the word first and foremost to experience him. Look for him and other people. Maybe it's a season of grief for you, sorrow or a disappointment. Let him walk with you through it. Maybe it's your own agenda. Lord, this is the way things should work out. This is what I want. Chook, chook, chook. And if he doesn't do it the way you want, you're not going to recognize him. Lay your agenda down. And then maybe you're just feeling pessimistic. And in this world, it's easy to feel pessimistic, right? <laughs> this world is it's in chaos at times. Lay your pessimism down and receive the op, op, optimism that we have, the hope that we have in Christ. Would you stand with me and let's pray? Today I want to give an invitation to anyone who's never put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus to do that today. And it's simple. You just give your life back to Jesus. Believe that He came to free you from your your sin and your selfishness and give you real life to become His disciple. Trust Him as Savior and follow Him as Lord. Follow Him as your disciple. We as a church are here to walk with you. We've all started at that starting point. Everybody that's following Jesus in this room has a starting point. I told you the beginning of mine. And when I first became a Christian, man, a group of dudes got around my life and helped me walk and learn and uh, pick me up when I was tempted to fall and all of that. So we need each other. Do that today. And everybody else, let's, let's commit to looking for Jesus in every area of our life. Not just Sunday, not just part-time, but full-time followers of Him. Lord, as we go from here today, flood and fill our hearts with a new zeal. Help us to be never lacking in zeal, but to keep our spiritual passion for You. Lord, you're passionate for us. You've proved that in every way. Thank you for your mercy. Given us the Holy Spirit. Help us to lean on you and him and grow as your disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.